I believe there's a hero in all of us. You have great powers, only some of which you have as yet discovered. I'm a superhero, Mama. A real-life superhero. The world needs extraordinary. We will make you a superhero. Are you ready to become a hero? Initiating surprise in three. This two is one. The Real Brian Show. Well, my goodness, today we have a wonderful conversation. I'm chatting with a new friend and also a wise person, Dr. Daphne Scott, who is joining me. Daphne has a wealth of experience and wisdom that she shares on her two podcasts. And so we get a chance to share some of that with you today, including the two essential aspects that leaders must have in order to be successful. But here's the thing. These two things will help you regardless of whether or not you're a leader to be happier, and to live better and healthier lives. Let's rock it! I am enjoying this fine cup of coffee, and uh, wow, you know, it's uh, it's funny because fall's officially started. Night Fox and I have been talking about this on Fridays, you know. Uh, we've had some cooler, rainier weather, and then it kind of warms up, and then it gets cooler. It's kind of teasing fall. The leaves are changing, and uh, oh my gosh, it's it's that time of year where I'm in between the summer and in the fall. It's kind of like, you know, I love fall so much. Can't wait to pull out, you know, the stuff that's you know, it's just warm. It's nice, like hot, hot cup of coffee right now, uh, you know, and all that good stuff. Or it's like, bad, but I still want to get outside. It's nice. It's, you know, I want, I want a bike. Ugh. It's kind of the best of both seasons, you know what I mean? At least I hope it is for, for many of you. I don't know. Maybe you're still on 180 degrees or something like that, or, or you're already at negative 200. I don't know. It depends on where you're at. But hey, thanks for joining me. I was excited about this one because uh, you know we're, we're kind of wrapping up the interview series on The Real Brian Show. I've talked about this just a little bit. We sort of teased on this. We're not wrapping up conversations with amazing people like Dr. Daphne Scott. Not at all. I mean, we're going to continue to do that. It's just that uh, we've been doing this as separate episodes, and what I'm wanting to do is uh, integrate those conversations now into our Friday episodes. That way, uh, you know, we don't leave Night Fox out because I want him to be a part of it as well. But today, oh my gosh, I'm just so excited. Let me tell you a little bit about Daphne. Dr. Daphne Scott, she brings two decades of real-world coaching corporate development experience to her work with organizations. She combines strong leadership abilities with highly trained facilitation skills to bring individuals and teams into greater relationship, creativity, and ultimately success. She's a professional co-active coach, certified Hendricks coach, founding member of the Conscious Leadership Group, member of the International Coaching Federation, holds a master's degree in applied positive psychology, doctorate of science and physical therapy, also is the chief cultural officer over at Confluent Health, and that's how I first met Daphne. So just to name a few, quite the list of accolades. It's very cool. Much of the wisdom that she shares is applicable for each of us one way or the other. Daphne, welcome to The Real Brian Show. Thank you, Brian. I really appreciate you for having me on the show. So I get a chance to uh, produce for your show, Inside Leadership, which is awesome. And, And then we find out that we were both a part of Cliff Ravenscraft's trainings, different times. How did you discover that? How'd you figure that out? Because I never, I honestly, I never even thought about it. Like, I get Cliff's emails. Oh, he had sent an email over and I clicked on something and, and you were like, boom, right there is a testimonial. And I'm like, whoa, that's Daphne. <laughs> <laughs> you're, 
That's right. I forgot. That's, that is how I couldn't remember. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I did a testimonial for him. It was yeah. awesome. It's been great, though. I, I love your show and, and I love what you've had to say on there. You've got so see, I'm a big mindset fan. So I'm sitting here listening to this going, yes, you know, and wait, wait I got to rewind that and edit that, you know, and <laughs> go from there. I just get so wrapped up in what you're talking about. So I really appreciate it. And that's why I wanted to bring you on, because you have a lot of great things to say and you're doing really, really cool things for those around you. But, you know, I have to start off with this one question. What are you nerding out about right now? Let's start with that. You know, it's okay. So I'm going to take this question a slightly different direction, probably, but I am. <laughs> this is, I just feel a little slightly embarrassed as I say this, but I'm going to. I'm going to tell you what I'm nerding out about right now is Dropbox. <laughs> but I want to tell you why. Okay. I am a Mac user. And thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. And they have decided to, you know, you can have access to iCloud on your computers. So they're doing their best to up their game to, I think, compete with Dropbox. That's my story. Anyway, I turned it on my computer. All of a sudden, my computer start having all of these problems. It's running super slowly. Like it can't, not, it's yelling at me about I don't have enough storage. It's just all these things. And here's what I discovered, Brian, that you can't just turn it off. <laughs> you mm. can't once you turn it on. You turn it off and it will tell you like, oh, we're going to delete all your stuff off your computer. And you can go get an iCloud if you want. But if you're not going to have it on your computer, we're not... So it's this whole thing. And so I finally said, look, I just want to, I'm just going to get everything into Dropbox. I did some different syncing stuff with Dropbox and I set up all this different stuff. I'm sure you can appreciate that once you have your system running exactly how you want it to go, it's just so relieving. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah. So I had been moving this past, it was like two weeks ago. I can't remember. But, you know, my computer just was completely shut. It was just pointless. I took the time to really get everything set up just like I wanted to. So I've just been geeking out, like moving, deleting files moving things into Dropbox, getting my, my system finally set up exactly the way that I want it. And then um, that's what I've been geeking out about. <laughs> and it's like probably the lamest thing you've, probably the lamest answer anyone has ever given you. I'm a big fan of Dropbox too, but I didn't know that about, you know, if you, if you change things, oh my gosh, you lose everything and buy iCloud, buy iCloud. Yeah, it's in iCloud, I guess, but it will take it. it. You can keep a copy on your computer or something. There's some way, you know, there is some way around it. It just, it's very unnerving when they send you a message like that. And, you know, really, I think what I was, what I was feeling, you know, in term, terms of the nerding out around the technology is also how it allows me to just stay in completion. Mm. You know, it's just, it's like when things get disorganized or you feel like you have stuff circling around and I know you understand, you, you have high levels of workflows and project management. It just, it doesn't ever feel good. Yeah. You know, you don't feel like you're in your best space. So back to kind of bring this back to your mindset thing. So it just feels really good to have that cleaned up. And and it's very hard when you're dependent on a system and a computer and it's not working well. I, it just, it's the worst. Yeah. <laughs> you're trying to get work done. It's like, it's just completely crashing and running slowly and you just can't get anything done. So that's not fun. No, I, I completely agree. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, understood. So I nerd out a lot about different things. I, I do love technology mm. just in general. I've seen some of the work that I do with video and, you know, I love all that stuff. So I can always get into that. I can have way too many toys if I'm not careful. See, that's the hard part about that kind of stuff too, right? <laughs> yes. It is. Yeah, yeah. You know, I need to learn more video because I, I have a, a phone camera. I can sit yeah. there and I can just take, you know, video of myself and post it on YouTube. But you can. Uh, the thing is, is, I just don't want to edit. I, I can. I don't want to. Uh, I know. Well, that's, you know, there is a point where you, you know, again, you have to learn to outsource some things when you can. Yeah. I have some handles that I agree. The video editing process is a whole other matzo ball. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I've had people ask me, you know, why don't you have a video channel? And it simply comes down to time and logistics. That's really all it is. I would do it otherwise. I love getting in front of the camera too. Yep. Well, you have a great voice and a great face. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so, yeah. Yay, so I actually have a face for video. <laughs> 
Yes. Voice for video, not a face for video. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. You are doing some cool things, uh, but I have to ask why you, uh, you used to do physical, well, you still do physical therapy, right? I don't practice anymore. I don't treat patients anymore, but oh. I did. Yeah. For about like 20 years. Okay. Yes, I did. So you did. moved over into the leadership sort of uh, side of things. What, what is it? That's what it's called, right? The, the leadership sector. Yeah. Leadership development, you know, coaching. What really sparked my interest in leadership was the reality that I was horrible at it. (laughs) I was just, you know, I'm a really directive person, which is great. I make decisions quickly, but you know, you just can't boss people around. It's like, just because you have the title doesn't mean people are going to say, do what you say. Yeah. What's really true is I was in my first leadership position. I think I was promoted when I was 29. I, I was just turning 30. And I had um, seven, eight people reporting to me, you know, educated physical therapists. You know, these are not, you know, people just off the street that they brought in and and they're doing working. Mm -hmm. And so I had seven people reporting to me who were, you know, very professionally trained and, you know, treating patients and responsible for patient care and all those good things. I had no idea what I was doing and made probably every every common mistake, every, every one of the most average mistakes a leader can make, which I'll I can talk about, too. um, I did them all of them. What really was disheartening for me was only to discover many, many years later that, oh, wait, there are skills that I can learn (laughs) that can make this easier. And that's when I really got, you know, with my own suffering sort of in the in the role and then starting to discover that there were learnable skills, like there were things that you could learn to be a much more effective leader. And to do your job much, you know, I was going to say more better. I don't know who talks like that. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. To be more effective and to have a little bit more fun doing it. And that's really, honestly, it was through my own missteps and my own mistakes that I started on this quest of wanting to learn more about it and then found out that there is a lot you can learn. It isn't just, you know, one of the old old age questions, you know, are you just a born, are you born a leader or, mm-hmm. you know, someone and this idea that you really can learn the learn processes and learn ways of doing things that can be really helpful and make you a lot more successful. So that's where I really started. That's cool. Uh, yeah. And I appreciate what you just said there. Are you born, you know, and that's the beginning of your show, you know, our leaders born and made, of course, or made born or made. That's what I'm looking for. But it's, uh, it's interesting because I think there's probably natural tendencies for some people, but the reality is, is that regardless of those natural tendencies, you have to learn still how to manage people because people are unpredictable and they do things and you go, what, 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 why didn't this work perfectly? Like I had imagined it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I mean, and that's exactly it. You know, there's, there were some, you know, if I look back at the history of my life, there were very obvious places consistently over time where, you know, I would have shown up quote in a leadership role, right. Taking charge, which has a benefit. It also isn't the only skill that you need as a leader. So there's that. Yeah, sometimes that's helpful and sometimes it isn't. So there are a lot, you know, there's a a whole uh, realm of possibilities about what things are needed at what time and and you can learn what those are. So, yeah, great point. I think it's interesting that, you know, you you went into leadership to learn more about it because you were terrible at it, or at least so you say anyway. Uh, I don't know for sure because I I didn't know you back then. Uh, Yeah, that's that's fascinating. And I think that's because you were in a position of leadership. So you went out, you wanted to find out more about it. I I mean, I know there's so many, so many facets to, to being a good leader and to leadership in general, but you know, if you could boil it down to one to three things, even that leaders absolutely must acquire, what do you think they were? Um, the highest levels of self-awareness that you can have, which is mm-hmm. difficult. And I'll say more about that here in a second. And secondly, emotional intelligence. I mean, those two things really, which, which are not in and of themselves. Um, they're not sort of disparate things. They, they're kind of run hand in hand with each other, but 
you know, they've looked at leaders who are successful. They're very aware of themselves. They know what their strengths are. They know what their blind spots can be. Mm. Um, they're willing to admit with the, when they've made a mistake is a great example, um, which has a lot to do with emotional intelligence. But those two, those are sort of the two foundational skills that anybody wants. And the truth is, Brian, anybody who wants to be successful in their life, you know, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> have some awareness of how you're showing up to people um, which is hard to do. We have, we just have blind spots. Um, I had them. I didn't see how my direct nature was really off-putting to some. It wasn't always the best way to approach issues um, or situations with people. Which, which also, again, like I, like I said, fit into the emotional intelligence part of things too. I wasn't good at reading people per se. I was good at intuitively. I definitely had a lot of intuition, but I wasn't good at, at really paying attention to it and slowing down to see, okay, wait, so I'm getting a weird reaction here or, or something doesn't feel like it's jiving with this person. Maybe try a different approach. I just kept muscling through it. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, which, which happens when you don't feel like you have a lot of skills on board, right? You just default to what you would naturally do. So yeah, developing that self-awareness and knowing what your blind spots are and getting feedback, being open to getting feedback and then developing your emotional intelligence, I think are really the two big ones. I think that's so cool. You know, I've been hearing more and more lately because people always, since I was younger, they've always talked about, you know, the IQ and how, oh, the intelligence and, you know, blah, blah, blah. This person's so smart. Now they're talking about, hmm, the EQ, the emotional quotient side of things, you know, which is the emotional intelligence you're talking about. And that's just now, I think within the last few years starting to get I think at least some, some notice, which is good. So I have to ask you because in my experience, most of the people that I've met and meet don't have a high level of, of self-awareness nor emotional intelligence. And, and it's not necessarily because they're stupid. It's because they don't know any better or nobody's coached them or they've, like you said, they've just never taken time to become self-aware and, sure. and to even admit like, like pride. Oh my gosh. Pride's got to be one of the biggest, biggest downfalls that I see in people. And even in myself, you know, in the past too, I, I, that was a huge problem for me. Yeah. And you know, yeah. you fall, you figure it out <laughs> the hard way. Well, you know, we all have identities that we want to protect. Totally. You know, we, we want to be seen, right? Yeah. So if anything starts to threaten that, again, this isn't our fault. It's just part of our wiring. Mm-hmm. If anything starts to threaten that, then, you know, we do, we do, we use whatever strategies we can use to try to protect that identity. And yeah, self-awareness, I think doesn't, I think there are some people who are, you know, sort of better at it than some um, but it doesn't, it's like anything else. You really won't, you really won't be able to harness it if you're not working with it and working with your own mind and your body and getting in touch with yourself. And that also is very uncomfortable. These are not, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> working on self-awareness yeah. is not, you know, the most comfortable thing. You know, I, I think Lily Tomlin had a quote about it. She said something like, something to the effect, I'm t- I can't remember the exact quote, but, you know, being self-aware makes you realize, you know, you don't like yourself very much, you know, or something <laughs> Like that, right? Yeah. So it's easier to, on some level. Yeah, it's easier to not be aware of everything that's going on around you or everything that's going on inside you because it can bring up a lot of things that you might not be so willing to face at different times. So it's not, and it's not you know necessarily a total joy ride. However, it's not necessarily a bad thing for you if you want to be successful in your life either. So. Well, and you're right. That's probably the reason why a lot of people aren't as self aware. Is is probably an unconscious choice because, like you said, it was like, oh my gosh, this is tough and. I'm, you know, bringing up all these bad things and I'm scared right now or whatever's going on, a lot of fear coming in. And so you just shove it under the rug and hope it goes away, in which case you just aren't self-aware. None of this is probably a conscious thought process. Like you said, it's probably some kind of a defense mechanism. People just kind of exist at that point. Yeah, absolutely. It's just Mm. easy. You know, again, easier. I put easier in quotes 
but it is. It's a little bit easier to do that than really face a lot of things that are going on. And it's not in our nature to, you know, create our own internal conflict necessarily. I think it's cool that you brought up that, you know, leaders must have these two things. But then you also said that to be successful in life, uh, you really have to have these two things as well. And I think that's interesting because, you know, yes, some some people obviously who are listening are in a, a position of leadership and others aren't. But everybody I know wants, they want to live like they don't just want to exist. They actually do want to live. They want to be, they want to have a happy, fulfilled life. You know, essentially those are the the buzzwords that are going around right now. Right. Yeah. So you think these two things really are core to getting to that point? I do. Well, and it's been my experience too. So again, I'm only talking from my own experience. You know, it's like you take the content, the readings and the things you find out and the things that people are pointing you to and then you go try it and you're like, oh, okay, yeah, this seems to make sense. A leader is a person willing to step into the unknown Mm. can also create followers. What that means is I can be a you know risk taker. I can step into the unknown and or in an organ in organizational life, which is where I do most of my work. I can be anointed with a title right? I can be the vice president of mystical, magical mountaintops, for example. I can be anointed to that. And just because I have the title doesn't mean I'm a leader. And my team can be showing up. They could all be there for a paycheck. It doesn't mean that they're following me. So yeah. they might be taking orders, right? I mean, we sort of have seen this kind of play itself out in different places. And, you know, maybe you've had a job where that has been the case. And um, so it doesn't mean, you know, leaders are people who have followers and they're also people who are willing to step into the unknown. So if you have both of those things going on, then then that's leading. And now if I take that out of the organizational context, we're all leading someone, somebody, if, if for nothing, no one else, our own lives. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's why, you know, my actual business is DS Leadership Life. And that's why that life is on the end of there. It's sort of like, how are you leading your life? You know, this isn't just um, showing up at work. And then the other part of that philosophy is, which by the way, I don't know that I've ever articulated this so clearly. So I'm really enjoying myself over here. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> That's good. I appreciate it. The other part of that philosophy then is, you know, we're leading our life. How does that fit in then the organizational context? How does that fit in? You know, they're not separate. And we sort of think that we can show up in one place and be one way and then go home and we can be another way. And you're showing up everywhere. So they're not separate mm-hmm. and try to pretend that they are, you know? So what I always say is like how you are in the bedroom is how you're going to show up in the boardroom. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the basic premise behind it. When I did a lot of local business, you know, people know you. So it's like when you're out in public, you know, are you are you road raging? Are you treating the cashier wrong or, you know, whatever? Yeah, um, absolutely. Being in integrity, which means wholeness, not not like a moral thing. Being in integrity just means there's a consistency. So even if you are a jerk, just be consistent at it. You know, don't <laughs> <laughs> like be whole with yourself. Like I'm a jerk and that's fine. Then be a jerk everywhere. Let the inside and the outside match. Yeah. And I think that's the, the bigger part because then people do really have a greater experience of aliveness, you know. I still going back to this idea that you were, you, were, you said you were horrible at this though. So you dove into it trying to learn more about it. And obviously it's become a huge passion for you. It is. Mostly that I, I have this real desire to just support people when they're interested in ending their own suffering. <laughs> so, you know, when they're interested, not me forcing myself upon people. And I just saw how I created so much of my own suffering. It, to your point, Brian, like not necessarily totally consciously. There was, there was a lot of unconscious parts to it too. It wasn't intentional. It's sort of like when you're on the hero's journey, right? You go out and you find something and you're like, everybody, you have to know about this. This was so helpful. You know, and you just you <laughs> want to tell people, you want to help people like, look, I found this thing. <laughs> you know? look, oh, yeah. 
have to struggle with your leadership for the rest of your life. Here's some things you can learn, you know. That's right, just part of my natural wiring. I mean, I was a helper. I was in a helping profession for 20 years. That jump for me wasn't that big of one in that way. And that's been my problem is because I have that exact same kind of, I'm not a, a helper by, what's the word, nature or strength or whatever, but I desire, like I desire to help people. And, and it's the same kind of thing. Like, I like what you said that you want to help, quote, end their suffering. And mm. oh my gosh, I've had so many people over the years, so many people come to me. And I'm not quite sure why they come to me, but they do, right? I, I'm I'm the, the the counselor, I guess. By the way, I would like to turn the show this moment into the show about let's talk about Brian's problem. <laughs> there we go. I'm gonna get some counseling right now. Okay. So uh let me let me just sit back in my in my couch here. So Daphne, tell me. <laughs> no, but it's so funny, people would come to me and they would say, Here's what I'm dealing with, or you know, they would present a problem to me. Now, of course, I never always knew the answer, right? That's fine, that's fair. But there were times where I actually said, you know what? I might have an idea. I might have a solution for you. It may not work, but at least it's worth trying. And yeah. I would have to say probably less than 20% of the time, the response was, ah, I'm good. I'm good. I got it. Yeah. <laughs> and then they would continue to have that problem and complain for years to come. Yes. This it, is pretty normal. Yeah. When I have a problem and yeah. I don't want to hear a, a solution. I'm not even saying that, like, I don't want somebody to come and tell me, well, here's what you need to do, because that doesn't feel very good either. No. But if somebody were to come to me and say, well, Brian, have you have you tried this or have you looked into something like this or have you blah, blah, blah. My response now today is let me look into that. Thank you. But, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, I was just like, oh, yeah, whatever. I got it. So I yeah. was one of those people, too. Like, mm-hmm. why won't these people listen? They have a huge problem. I want to end their suffering. And they don't want it. And I would get so bent out of shape. And then I've got people over here that are a lot quieter, raising their hand, saying, I want help. Mm-hmm. I'm interested. Well, you bring up a great point. This is such so good. So, you know, even feeding off my line about ending suffering, mm-hmm. they're interested. One of the things that um, is so important to know is like anytime someone comes with, a, with, a, with an issue, an item, something that's going on in their life, it's really worth understanding that the consciousness that they're coming from, first of all, <laughs> Once, you, once you're coaching people and helping people, you just know that everyone actually already has their own answers. Mm. No one ever needs you to tell them what to do. Now, they might need information. They might, you know, require, you know, some piece of data of some sort or equipment or something like that. But people really inherently always know their own answers. What they do, though, is they get scared. So I work with people on a lot of like interpersonal issues, right? With their teams, with their bosses. And so when someone comes to me with an issue they're having with a person, another human in their life, they always know the answer. They always know what they need to do, but they're scared to death because maybe one of the things that it's going to require them to do is to go to their boss and say, I can't handle that project. I'm not ready. Or, you know, you said this to me last week and I got really upset about that and I didn't tell you back then, but I want to tell you now, you know, so there's a risk involved. And a lot of times people are just really scared. So it doesn't, when you say all that to me, Brian, I am not surprised at all. Mm-hmm. And there's a second thing that happens when we start advising people, when we start wanting to give people advice or telling them what to do when they haven't asked, it really does put us in what I call the hero role. And the hero is really like trying to solve people's problems. The issue with that is that for me to be over trying to solve someone else's problem, I first have to have a perspective that they are incapable of handling it on their own, Mm. which puts them in the victim position. Yeah, that's true. Right. You know, part of, you know, when I'm doing, you know, when I'm in my coach role with my coach hat on, I, I'm not ever telling anybody what to do ever, actually, <laughs> which is kind of funny. You're like, then what are you doing? What are these people paying you for? Yeah. Probably the greatest thing is just helping people self-reflect so that they can hear what they sound like so they can see what 
they weren't capable of seeing. You know, that's one of the advantages of even us having a conversation. You know, if you're stuck or I'm stuck, when I start saying things to you and you start feeding it back to me, not with the intent of changing me, but just to let me hear myself, I'm like, oh, well, that sounds ridiculous. <laughs> you know, like, oh, I could have, duh. And so that, it doesn't surprise me that you've had that experience at all because that is what starts to happen when we start advising people and when they're not, they're, sometimes they're just not even really asking for our advice. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty normal, very normal. There is a part of us that when we, when we kind of get into that unconscious space that really does want to believe we're victims. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You do. I mean, it's so much more fun for me to play victim to you. And it, <laughs> it is so much more fun for me to call up and just gripe to you about my boss. I mean, it's just so much more fun to do that, right? I'm probably putting that in quotes too, but like entertaining, right? It's entertainment. Drama is entertaining, if nothing oh, yeah. else. Oh, right. Yeah. So it just it feels easier. It's easier for me to do that than to see how I'm part of the recycling issue, you know, in the relationship or to see how I'm actually creating the experience that I'm having. It's just easier to complain and pretend I'm a victim. So, <laughs> you know, I, I love, I, this is cool. And, and you just, uh, you just said this on, I, I think it was this week's episode. You said something about that. Anger is about uh, really about fear. Yeah. Look angry, but they actually have a lot of fear. Yeah. And that's so interesting because it really comes down. I mean, really, this is all psychology. It's so interesting, It is. but you're talking, it's so, it's so fascinating. You're right. The easier path is to gripe. Plus, it's like you said, it's it's fun. It's entertaining. I mean, I actually used to do that. I used to get together with a guy. This was years ago. And we would get together for lunch or coffee and we would just complain about the industry we we're in. And yeah. I actually got to the point where I would physically feel better when I was complaining with him. You will. And oh you my want gosh. To like to know why? You've changed your uh, your brain chemistry? <laughs> well, you have. What you're actually getting is a huge hit of adrenaline. Oh, wow. So you actually in the short term do feel better. If you pay attention though, and this would be for anybody listening, if you're doing that thing where you're complaining and you're complaining with a friend, just pay attention to how you feel in the moment in your body and then pay attention to how you feel about 20 to 30 minutes later. Mm. You will feel exhausted. Like a drug. It is absolutely, it is absolutely, adrenaline is the most addictive substance in the world. Yeah. And so when we get really hooked and it's very, it takes a lot of presence, you know, mindfulness, whatever word you want to apply in that vein to really not pull the ring, if you will, to get a hit of that, to stay like, oh, you know, I'm not a victim here. I'm, I'm actually responsible for my, the results I'm getting in my life. You will feel alive, alive for a little bit. And then if you pay attention, you'll feel really tired afterwards. Mm. Definitely not the, it's not the long-term life giving way to go though. It is not, you know, and again, in organizational life, you know, this is what we start to really pay attention to is that how much time, and this is for anybody, but how much time are you spending working from fear, Hmm. you know, getting your tasks done from fear? Everybody's just jacked up on adrenaline and then they wonder why they go home at the end of six or or eight, 10 hours, other than that's a long time to be working, but eight hours and they're just depleted. They have nothing left. Unsustainable. I do see that a lot, you know, where you, you hear the typical story. I think this is a very common story as people come home. The common response, you know, oh, hey, how's it going? Oh, long day. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and you know, it, and it's not just, well, the day was the same hour as I had. It's just it mentally, like you said, it was long because they were junked up on adrenaline or whatever it was out of probably some negative motivation in order to get whatever they needed to get done. And then they come home and they're just like, uh, <laughs> what? Yes. uh drown my sorrows in, you know, TV or whatever. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. exactly what it is. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. Gosh, okay. that's so sad. I mean, and, and I understand that because I've been there and, and, you know, I've chosen. See, here's the thing. The entrepreneurial path is mm-hmm. so wonderful and rewarding and yet so challenging. Yeah. <laughs> it's not well, easy. There's always trade-offs. I'm sort of a practical kind of gal. 
So I'm all for living our best life, thriving, well-being. You know, I do this work in organizations. Let's create the most thriving environment and culture that we can. And I'm also pretty realistic that if we start, if we start thinking that our work in the world is the only thing or, you know, that's going to bring us total fulfillment, or if we start putting these expectations on our professional lives that it has to meet all of our needs, good luck. I mean, it's just not, it's just not how it works. You need to have hobbies. You and I need to step away from the computer every once in a while, go do something, um, make a meal, whatever. But I think that we also do have, at least I'm speaking for myself because and it's probably because I spend so much time, you know, in the working world too and, and with people who are at work, right? So my work is being with people who are at work. I see a lot of that. Like there's sort of this expectation that work should be, you know, the end all be all of our lives and do and fulfill us personally, professionally, the whole nine yards. And I, I just think that that's sort of an unrealistic expectation. Too. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So true. And there are trade-offs. I mean, you know, the entrepreneurial life is awesome, right? Mm-hmm. It's great. And there are trade-offs. Are we going to eat this week? I don't know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and it's not for everybody. And I think there's there's been this weird, I guess the word would be promotion, you know, where, where people are promoting, wow, you know, if you quit your job and come and do X, like buy my course and do X, you're going to make, you know, six figures this, this year. And then by, you know, six months from now, you're going to make six figures a month. And everyone's like, oh, I want to quit my J-O-B. And they do. And then they realize that the entrepreneurial life wasn't for them. Yeah. And that's so- scary. It is. And you know, that movement, and I can say this from the coaching perspective, really hinges on, there were these, you know, self-help personal development groups back in the 70s. One of them was Est, which was started by Warner Earhart, which then later turned into Landmark Forum and later was Landmark. I don't know. Some, there's some progression. The whole point of that, though, is that there was a line that he would say, is like, if you're not enrolling life, life is enrolling you, you mm-hmm. know? And it sort of created this movement of like, everybody should be out being an entrepreneur and doing their own thing and be a coach or be a whatever. And I do think there's a real beauty to that. I also think to your point, that isn't the role for everybody. You know what? There's absolutely nothing wrong with have your fulfilling job that you go to and go to your office and do that really great. There's no problem with that. It's just finding what works best for you and what makes the most sense. Now, if you're, if you're doing that just because you're afraid of, you know, living your dream, that's not going to be helpful. But, you know, again, I I think there's a balance to be struck there. So I hear you on that one. I agree. I think that's the key too is finding what works best for you because I think there are people that, you know, the the entrepreneurial life looks alluring, but the reality is, is they would fail miserably and it would be far more worse, far, far more worse. I like that. There we go. See, I was doing your more better thing. Worser. (laughs) Far more worser. (laughs) And also it would be not only unfulfilling, but also probably destructive. Yeah, sure. Or just be stressful. You know, again, there, you know, I've, I've known several people who have left their, you know, their daytime job, if you will, their regular job or careers, and they've gone out on their own for a while. And then there are people who go back, yeah. you know, it's like, yeah, I did my own thing for, I, I actually was working with this woman who she had her own clinical practice for 10 years. And then she just said, you know, I had enough, I was working by myself mostly. She's like, I was doing, you know, I had one person that was helping me. And after about 10 years of that, my practice was successful and it was just time for me. I wanted to get back and work with a team of people. And, you know, so I think that is, I think that's the real beauty is that we live in such a space now where that, that can even be an option, mm-hmm. you know, um, whereas 20, 30, 40 years ago that way, everybody just had, you know, regular jobs yeah. and you didn't have, you didn't have these capacities like we do now. Oh, yeah. So true. So true. So, I, okay. I'm going to go back really quickly because I, I'm still fascinated by this and I think this is really helpful for people like us who, like you said, want to end other sufferings, but also people who are in that, in that zone to have a little bit of self-awareness about the set. You mentioned this, that, that the drama is easier and it's entertaining and it creates adrenaline rushes. So it feels good in the short term, 
But also mm-hmm. you, you mentioned the victim puts us in a victim role, maybe mm-hmm. even in the, in the mentality of that. Well, I'm a failure when somebody's telling me how to live and what to do. Obviously I'm disrespected and I'm a failure because otherwise that pers- person wouldn't be telling me that. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's their opinion. <laughs> well, no, but I'm saying like that's I think that can affect you in that way. When oh, you yeah. Hear that. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, anytime someone's giving you advice and you haven't asked for it, it doesn't feel good. I mean, you can try that on for yourself. You know, it's not really very helpful. You don't feel heard. Um, oh, yeah. Your emotions don't feel validated. Um, and sometimes that is what we need. You know, when we say like sometimes we just need we just need people to listen or we just need to be listened to. Really what we're pointing to is, yes, be listened to and, you know, trust that people can sort out the issues of their lives just fine without your intervention. I do want to say something about the, the you know, when we when we get ourselves stuck in victims. So I just want to be really clear about something. Two things, actually. One is, you know, I go into that consciousness reliably. I've been doing this work for a really long time. <laughs> and it, it's normal. It's normal because it's just a fear-based response. It is a fear-based response to looking for something, you know, around our security, our control, our approval. Anytime those things feel threatened, we're just going to go into a fear-based response and we'll start to feel that victim part of us that's just like, I can't handle this. This isn't, you know, working out the way I thought. Life is horrible. You know, why me? Why is this stuff happening to me? So it's just really normal for us to do that. What the gift is, I think, is, is this is where the self-awareness, sort of the awareness piece fits into is to see when we're doing that. Mm. And then to take responsibility for it. So it's not our fault is what I'm saying. Hmm. It's not our fault and we can take responsibility for it. I, so it's not our fault, but it's our responsibility. Well, we can. We can okay. choose to take responsibility for it. I think it's our greatest evolutionary challenge, actually. Yeah. It's responsibility for that. Yeah. It, it's just how we're wired. I mean, again, anytime we feel threatened, our, in our, our brain cannot make the distinction between our identity being threatened and our physical survival being threatened. It doesn't know the difference. It's all the same thing. Can you train it, though? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Because <laughs> I was going to say, I, I, I personally know the difference, but yeah, I, I can see what you're saying. Like mm-hmm. if I look back 20 years ago, I probably didn't. Yeah. Your cognition. Yep. Your cognition has gotten, you know, again, your awareness. And so, yeah, we absolutely, I mean, that's what a lot of the mindfulness practices are really about. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it be mindfulness meditation or paying attention throughout the day in a particular way without non-judgment, non-criticism. You know, if you think about those definitions of what like mindfulness is, I mean, they're starting to say like it's paying attention in a particular way with non-judgment, non-criticism. Well, that's of yourself first. You know, it's not paying attention to somebody else's experience first. It's your own noticing what's going on inside of you. So, yeah, and absolutely we can train it. And it takes a lot of intention and commitment, probably more than anything, to train our, our brains to rewire our brains, if you will. Yes, it's our greatest challenge. It is our absolute greatest challenge currently on the planet as humans is to do that, to override, you know, that toxic fear, the toxic adrenaline. I mean, it's just, we're just not quite there yet um, on the planet. And I think, you know, the more that individuals get dialed into that, not for their own individual gain per se, but to end their own suffering, you naturally start, and I'll say what I mean by end your suffering, but you naturally start, that that ripples out, that yeah. ripples. Yeah. yeah. Some of what you're talking about in your show, Brian, about, you know, whether you're using the word positivity or whatever you're using, I mean, that's really what you're talking about in your show a lot, you know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, that's very interesting. And, and, you know, now, now that you're, you're saying that stuff too, I'm thinking, okay, maybe I'm not so good at that as I thought I was, you know, cause <laughs> well, I mean, seriously, like, you know, people, oh my gosh, everybody, I'm an open person, right? So I'll say something about, Hey, what did you think about this? You know, and I, I invite feedback all the time, not just on the show, but on other things. Yeah. 
And as a result, of course, people take it upon themselves to say anything and everything. And I get wonderful, constructive, wise things, and then I get very poisonous things. You know what I mean? I mean it's just the way it is. Sure. And this might be the same kind of thing, but I have a hard time distinguishing between truth and opinion. I love that you just said that oh. um, about truth opinion. So feedback is always someone's opinion. Sure. So it's facts and there are stories. So let's do a game. Michael Jordan this. is the best basketball player in history. Fact or story? Mm, well, I'm going to say story. Right. Story. Yeah. No, and I'm making up this number for the sake of our conversation here, but Michael Jordan scored the most points, 300 and whatever, um, of any basketball player in a playoff game. Okay. Well, assuming that that number is true, right. then that would be a fact. That would be a fact. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So there are facts, there are data, and then the rest of it is all interpretation or what I would call story. So anytime, you know, you ask for feedback or if I ask you for feedback, you're exactly right. I mean, we'll get it from we'll get it from all sides and it'll be like, well, I thought you were too fast and I thought this could have been slower. And I thought, um, you know, you did a good job here, but this sounded really stupid. And then that's all interpretation. It's all story. Yeah. It's all thoughts. Fact versus story changed my life, actually. Interesting. Like, you know, when you're talking about like feedback or people sharing with you or whatever, what's most valuable is just to sit and go, OK, if you want to be a high speed learner in life, to sit with the feedback and go, how is what they're saying actually true? Mm hmm. Now, how, how is it? Or actually, when you say that, it really doesn't land for me at all. You know, if you can get really clear with yourself or, yeah, that was true. And that's exactly how I, how I wanted that to. <laughs> it's exactly how I intended it for it to work, you know, whatever. So, you know, in terms of feedback or input from people, you get to decide. You know, this is interesting because, um, you know, I've done tons of we, we, I've had a lot of conversations about the education system, for example, and how we all learn. And uh, yeah. but also just if you're in what do you call them? Pseudo learning groups or whatever you call them. Cause they're not official, you know, universities per se, but you go and you do some kind of a training, you go through mm -hmm. a coaching course or whatever, you know, of course, a lot of things get thrown around. And two of the things that I hear a lot, whether it's in something like that, or even, even in commentary of this show, I've heard this as well, but it's the same two things. One is a person is speaking through their personality and their learning type. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times they can't understand that or they don't understand that. And so what they say is, I get no value out of your coaching course or your show or what you just said right there or this book that I just read because here's what I'm looking for. So the fact there is that their personality and their learning style requires something different, which is mm -hmm. fine, right? But then where the opinion and the story comes in is that you give no value. And I, yeah. man, I've seen that this book sucks. This book has no value. And I'm like, well, actually, yes, it does. It's just you don't learn this way. Yeah. Well, I think that's, again, that, that is when people get really attached to their story being right. Yes. So my experience was, and you're exactly right, Brian. I mean, we're only ever really talking through our own experience. And even with the teaching, you know, coaching that I do, teaching, mindfulness stuff that I teach, all of those things, what's really true is you just, you have to have your own experience. You know, your interpretation of a book or your opinion about something is really just your experience. And that doesn't mean that it's the only one. And so you hold your stories and your interpretations lightly, but it's, you can be your experience. Like this book had no value to me. Great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was experience. Right. And you know, and then there's going to the data. So if you and I were on Amazon, you know, and we saw one book or something and there were 300 reviews and 300 people said there was no uh, value in this book at all, then we would probably go, okay, well, maybe there's not something there for me. You know, maybe, I yeah. don't know. Um, may maybe you'd still read it anyway. Who knows? Um, but yeah, I mean, you always have to take those things with, with the uh, proverbial grain of salt. Sure. Right? You know, it's yeah. interesting. We were at a dinner uh, a couple of weeks ago and, and one of the guys was talking about, you know, that he hates when people say this is the way it is. 
not even necessarily saying this is truth, but speaking in a way that I, you know what I'm talking about? Like it, it sounds like yeah. the person really knows. Yeah. Emphatically that kind of thing. He was saying, I wish people would start saying more in my experience or in my opinion. Yeah. And I thought that's a really good point. Mm-hmm. It's Be- helpful. As long as it's being said sincerely. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, yes, exactly. So like you could say, here's a fact, like the sky is blue. Well, right. when the sky is clear, that is, <laughs> you know, right. two plus two is four. Exactly. I was forced into to becoming a little more self-aware and, growing my emotional intelligence over the years too. just, you know, you, you get it put into those situations, school of hard knocks, and you just start to go, wow, once this stuff opens up, you start to realize how life is better. It's more balanced. It's more consistent, but then you start to see what's going on around you. And then you kind of go, Hmm, this is why people do what they do good or bad. Right. Yeah. And I think, man, that can really, you know, I, I love, I love hearing this too, you know, uh, like, well, I don't understand men or I don't understand women or I don't understand that person. And it's like, well, you can, <laughs> try harder exactly <laughs> listen better <laughs> so how does a person because i think truthfully i think the people that listen to the real brian show mm-hmm. most of them probably understand this at least to some level if not to most levels I, I would assume that otherwise i don't think people would be listening to the show but how does one get to a point where, you know, they can become a little more self-aware, understand their emotional intelligence a little bit better, even one step at a time, 1% of a time, 1% at a time, whatever. I'm just trying to figure out because I think that, like you said, you can't, you can't force somebody to do this. They have to want this. And so until that person gets to that point, there's nothing anybody can do really. But at the same, for those, for that person that's saying, I want to grow in this area. Mm -hmm. And obviously, like you said earlier, there's threat, there's fear involved. So, you know, to grow too quickly would be a little scary. So what's a, what's a good healthy step forward? Yeah. Great question. Well, obviously listening to your show, I would say that. Um, so that sounds really like, geez, could you, you know, be more (laughs) kiss up to the host? Uh, Keep going, keep going, keep going. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) That is it's a community. So if you're a person who really wants to wake up, if you're a person who really wants to be mindful and conscious and all these different words, you know, self-aware that we're using, you have to have community around you. And community can be built a million ways. There are a thousand skillful means to do that as there are a thousand skillful means to developing self-awareness and waking up. So yes, so listening to this, your podcast, listening to your show and surrounding yourself with people that really want that same thing. That's a major step. The next thing that I would say beyond around just beyond um, just creating your community is really finding the tools, finding the things, finding the ways. And I'm going to give an example of two. They're not the end all be all, but finding the things that really support you in waking up, Um, whether that be journaling. That's one of my favorites, whether that be I use a personality profiling test with all of my clients, the Enneagram. It's my absolute favorite. I've not heard of that one. It's fantastic. And learning more about yourself. Now those have, you know, the, those all, they all have limits, right? They all have limits, but it's, it's a point, the point being that there are a thousand skillful means. And so you find the ones that work well for you. And then I am a huge fan of meditation to really start allowing ourselves to see what's going on inside of us and to start really understanding, you know, what our thought, our sort of thoughts are. The mind kind of works the same for everybody. It's either in the future or it's in the past. Mm-hmm. It's a very hard time staying present. <laughs> so I was thinking about what it's going to do next or where, where it just came from. I'm a huge fan of meditation. Um, the app that I recommend for people um, for meditation to learn, you know, basic stuff is Headspace, which I absolutely love. Andy Pudicombe is the guy who um, created that and he's really wonderful. 
And so, you know, there are a lot of different means. Those are typically the ones that, you know, those are sort of the basic things that I start with when I start working with people, but that I would recommend. But there are a thousand skillful means and, and you know, finding the ones that work best to support yourself or is, is really what matters. I know meditation, uh, you know, some people get it, some people don't. Would you say that meditation is a form of mindfulness? Yes, okay. it is. So mindfulness is sort of a big umbrella term. I'm glad you brought that up, Brian. Yeah. Mindfulness is a big umbrella term. The definition I use is one by um, this guy, John Kabat-Zinn, and he came up with mindfulness-based stress reduction that he used with patients. So I was actually first uh, exposed to him when I was actually treating patients. But his definition, which I was saying a little bit earlier, was you know, paying attention in a very specific way with a specific intent in a non-judgmental, you know, he has like a very sort of operational definition of what mindfulness means. And he, he's talking about, and when he says, you know, paying attention, so it can be, I'm sitting and I'm meditating or I'm doing walking meditation. By the way, there are a lot of different ways to meditate too, but I'm doing walking meditation or something, or there can be just the practice, different daily practices of mindfulness. You can do mindful eating. You know, we can yeah. do mind conversation. We can do my, so mindfulness itself is a big bucket term, regardless of what you're doing. It does point to how we're directing our attention. It's becoming a big term right now. A lot of people are using it, um, especially in the business space, but I've been hearing it more and more. And that's something where we were talking about social media, for example. And it's like, mm. I, I'm one of those people who I'm an early adopter or at least yeah. I, I used to be. I've kind of slowed down a little bit on that on purpose. You're a late adopter. Well, no, it's just I, I choose not to just get too involved anymore because it was just getting a little too much, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. And it's like, you know, get involved in 10 to 15 or 20, you know, social media sites mm -hmm. or whatever. And all, all of a sudden I'm looking at my phone and I've got texts, phone calls, you know, Facebook, Twitter, everything <laughs> popping up all at the same time. I got 50 emails coming in and what am I doing? Every time my phone buzzes, boom, I'm on my phone. Boom, yeah. boom, boom. And it's like, oh my gosh, I am a slave to this thing. And I got so frustrated by that. And, and you know, another thing too is like, you'll see people on their phones bumping into people or, you know, walking out in front of cars and not paying any attention. It's like, you have no idea what's going on in the world around you right now. And so yeah. we, we've talked about that a lot here on the show, too, about just being present in the moment and taking time for that because, oh, my gosh, it is it's becoming bad. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know. So I'm glad you I'm glad you brought up the idea of meditation slash mindfulness, because I think that is very important in our lives. I like what you were saying. You know, the journaling thing I, I talked about having writing down at least three things you're thankful for every morning, at yes. the very least doing something like that to set your brain right. But then also that mindfulness idea, I think gets your day off to a far, far more focused and better start than any other way. So I yeah, agree with you. I'm a big fan of my experience. But again, you know, people have to really, you have to try it. You know, you have to learn it. You have to try it, stick with it. And what I was going to say, the last thing I was going to add is just, you know, that it really is a commitment to what are the practices that work well for you. And I think that's where we can sort of skim the surface of a lot of these things and not really give ourselves a chance to dive into whatever is going to work well and stick with it for a bit to see what effect it does have. I think that's more important um, than anything, probably. I love it. Daphne, thank you so much. All right. Where can we find you and listen to you and all of that? Yeah. So I have two podcasts. The one that you mentioned earlier, the Inside Leadership Podcast, that's on the Evidence in Motion platform. I, I do quite a bit on that show, really geared towards healthcare clinicians. Um, you'll hear me bring that up on the show pretty pretty reliably, but it's not, it's not just for that group of people, but you will hear me bring some of that in. And then I have another podcast, the Super Fantastic Leadership Show. Both of these you can find on iTunes. Um, and that's where I talk about all all things related to leadership, organizational life, um, living our best life, and um, thriving. So either one of those you can find me. And then on Twitter at Daphne Scott. And my website, 3 Daphne-Scott.com. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm writing all of this down. It will be in the show notes. So that's perfect. All right. Well, thank you very much, Daphne. This was so awesome. And yes, do check yeah. out those shows. And it's funny, even though I'm you know producing for Inside Leadership, 
like you said, it is for healthcare professionals, but at the same time, I get so much out of it. Oh my gosh, I've learned so many things from it already that I'm applying. That study that you found about those who believed stress was going to kill them versus didn't. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Can we talk about this? I, I brought it up, but can we talk about this really quick? Because that blew me away. Yeah, that's Kelly McGonigal's work. So she's at Stanford. People can look her up. So Kelly and then McGonigal, MC and then G-O-N-I-G-A-L. Uh, she's fantastic. And that was her study. She They just looked at, you know, how do how did people perceive the idea of stress? And when people who thought that stress was really bad for them, um, they had a major reaction <laughs> to the idea of stress and they did die sooner. Oh, so crazy. And it was a long-term study. I think it was like eight years or something. And it was a high percentage too. Yeah. Yeah. It was really interesting. And so what her in a lot of her work is based on this. Um, she's a big mindfulness you know, practitioner herself and she and has been for many, many years. But what she was really pointing to there was it's our perception of things can really create our reality a lot more than what we realize. Mm-hmm. And she, she, she has another book. I cannot remember the title of it. And I apologize for not remembering, but it really is about this idea of stress. And her TED talk is excellent. She has a TED talk on this. And she talks about how she really felt like she started doing people a disservice because she was basically telling everybody stress is bad. You know, we have to avoid stress. We can't get stressed. Well, if you start believing that you you shouldn't be getting stressed and you are, that's going to be a real problem. Yeah. <laughs> right. So she's done a lot in that in that realm to um, support people. There are several studies like that, different ones, not around stress, but there was another one they did with, and I'm forgetting the researcher's name, but she looked at, they did the study with how hotel workers, uh, the women that would clean the rooms, how they perceived their work, if they perceived it as exercise or not. And so what they did is they had one control group that didn't get a class. They had another group that got a handout on exercise. And then they had a third group that actually went through a class and they were, it was explained to them how much physical activity they were actually getting when they were doing their jobs. That third group lost 15 pounds or something. It was some ridiculous number over the course of time without doing anything additional. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. I mean, there are several studies like this, pretty profound and pretty neat. Again, I I don't think anything's a panacea, but I think it points us to something. Sure. Well, it points us to that the brain is more powerful than we think it is. And like you said, the perception of things really has an impact on everything. Yes, it Mm. does. It really does. Yeah. All right. Well, Daphne, thank you. I will have all these links in the show notes. Make sure that go check out Daphne's shows and her website and everything. So much to do. So much to see too. And uh, thank you very much for being on the show today. I really appreciate it. Brian, thank you. It was really fun. Thank you so much. Daphne, thank you so much. That was phenomenal, fantastic information. I hope you got a lot out of that. That's something that, again, whether you're a leader or not, I'm saying this for the third time, there's so much here, so many things that you can take away. So I'd love for you to join us on Friday, of course, because, you know, the Night Fox and I, well, we're going to have some fun. We're going to talk about, uh, you know, we'll we'll have some serious topics again. I kind of like this balance of laughter and fun and craziness and insanity. And then also, hey, let's get serious here. Let's chat about some real talk because it is the real Brian show after all. So thanks for joining me though. Hope you have a great day. Go to realbrianshow.com. Check out the show notes and check out Daphne Scott's stuff. Real Brian's signing off. The Real Brian Show is a production of 514 Media at 514mediaempire.com.